0: This is WCM's Park Update, a weekly show covering the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast. During each episode, you'll hear from special guests and campground experts on topics that will help your park flourish. WCM's Park Update is a production of Woodall's Campground Magazine.
1: Hi, I'm Ben Quiggle, editor of Woodall's Campground Magazine, and this is another episode of WCM's Park Update. Of course, my co host, Mike Gast former vice president of communications at Campgrounds of America. And our guest today is Glenna Hecht, who is an HR expert and one of the highest rated speakers at Campgrounds of America's annual convention. Right, Glenna?
2: Yes, thank you.
3: And- I' look forward to that every year in my time with KOA that you know, Glenna would come in and kind of sit everybody straight and, uh, and give that message of uh, just how important HR was the even in a small business like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I know this last year at KOA convention, you were part of a kind of an idea exchange and you you know, people were giving ideas about how to retain employees, which is really important in today's market. Um, I guess just give us for the non KOA people who maybe have never seen you before, just give us a little background on what you do and the company that you own work for. So
2: excellent thank you thanks first off for for inviting me to be here it's a pleasure to talk to this audience and to talk about this topic um, i spent many years in the corporate world primarily in hospitality retail and handling all of hr training and engagement a lot of high growth companies um, including starbucks worked for the levy restaurants at walt disney world MacRail, marshall fields so i know a lot of people in hospitality and the challenges that you face. Uh, in 2010, I started my own business and it's a uh, humanistic consulting. I work with all kinds of industries, but primarily what I found, Ben, was that a lot of organizations don't have the need or the budget for a senior HR person, but they certainly would like, you know, a little piece of the expertise to help with strategy, execution, How do I hire people? What's my organization look like? How do I handle my processes, my systems, my retention, and all of the pieces that go along with it. So I work with a lot of camp owners and other industries as well. And then not only speak on it, but certainly do the HR work as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've heard you speak a couple of times and really engaging, um, you know, sometimes HR stuff can be a little bit boring. So, but you make it really engaging. So that's well, good. So, um, I, try, I
2: try. Thank you. It's trying to pique people's interest in this topic is not always the most exciting, <laughs> but really important, right? And, you know, we know yeah. that when a camp owner uh, has or a manager has an HR issue or something pops up with one of their people, it tends to own them. And so it's really all encompassing. So, it's an important topic to be thinking about, you know, how do I anticipate, bring the right people in, make sure that they're doing what I want and need them to do, and that they're having a great experience. So all of this can be very much preventative, which is what I I really enjoy.
3: So, Glenn, a lot of our audience members today are very small businesses. They're probably, uh, you know, going to term mom and pop campground owners, and maybe they've got uh, one or two employees, and that's it. uh, is is HR still a thing when you're that small?
2: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Mike, I think HR is more painful in a small company. So I think about the organizations that I've worked with in the past where I've been responsible for thousands of people or even some of the companies that I work with that are three, four, 500. If you've got one or two folks that are not working out well, you don't really feel it. But when you're a camp owner and you've got, one, two, or five people, just think about it. If one person's not working out, that's equal to, you know, 50% of your staff, if you've got a staff of two people. And so you really feel it, and you feel it more importantly in productivity, but your guests also feel it, your campers feel it. They know when it's not running smoothly, when there's tension, you know, when people are not Working as a really great cohesive team, and so it's. I think it's actually more important, Mike, and certainly something that keeps a camp owner, you know, awake at night, especially if they're a small camp owner and they feel like part of their team just isn't clicking.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess. Uh, what are some things that you're hearing from park owners? Uh, you know, what are some strategies you give park owners when they say they're struggling to find employees? I guess.
2: Well, there's the, you know, there's the recruiting side, and then there's the preparation for the recruiting side, Ben. And part of that is, you know, one always assumes that I bring them in and then I figure it out. And actually, that's reversed. So I tell a lot of the park owners, you know, two things that you have to do to be ready when you're going to recruit somebody. One is to have the roles really clearly defined. What's the lane? What do people do? What are they accountable for? What do they have authority for? So that I know when I come in, I feel secure. I feel as though I know what's expected of me. I have a chance to win. It allows you to go out and recruit. And then really important is the training. So how am I going to get up to speed? Because I don't think anybody wants to fail. And certainly when you hire somebody, they want to do the best for their employer. And I really believe they want to do the best for the camper. So what kind of structure training do you have to make sure that somebody gets what's going on? And then once you have that in place, then you have to think about, okay, where do I go to find people? And I have a lot of camp owners that will say, well, should I just go a, and post in this place or in this place? And I tell them in this market, all baits fishing, right? You go to, you do, you go to the, uh, if you're a part of, you know, a large organization such as a KOA you'd use their website. You might go to Indeed. You'd go to a Chamber of Commerce meeting. Yeah. But I think you have to really look at all of the options that are available to you for recruiting. That way you have a bigger pool, and that way you can select the best of the best. But I always tell people, look at your profile, look at your recruiting, the way that your candidates would look at your recruiting. So I was looking, and I think I mentioned this to you, at a couple of the websites for people in the campground industry. And I noticed lots of requests for couple. You know, we're looking for a couple that might be in front office or maintenance or managing the campground. Well, just that one subtle word rules out a whole group of people. And they may think, I'm not old enough to be a couple or what if I'm not in a couple? So you may be missing out on somebody who's a great somebody for you Just because of the way something is phrased and the way that you're marketing it and recruiting it. So I always say, you know, have your processes in place and then go out and have the opportunity to interview as many people as possible so that you're really narrowing it down and you're talking about what your expectations are and then bringing people into the company.
1: Yeah. What, what, you know, go ahead, Ben. I think when we talk to park owners, that interview process is a little rough for some of them, um, especially like when it comes to work campers, you know, how do you interview somebody who's maybe across the country from you at that moment, you know, how do you get to know that person, I guess?
2: Well, this, you know, if you think about it, this situation that the three of us are in right now is an ideal example of what that looks like, right? One of of us is in Dallas. One of us is in the middle of the country, right? And one of us is in Michigan, but we're having a conversation as though we're sitting right next to each other, having a cup of coffee. So camp owners can interview somebody, you know, around the country via Zoom and really have an opportunity to see their body language, see how they interact, ask questions, get to know them, develop relationships. The biggest challenge that I find with camp owners is once they have identified somebody, keeping in contact. That relationship may be started four or five months in advance, but are you talking to them every couple of weeks? Are you finding out what's going on with them? Are you sending them newsletters from your campground? Are you marketing? Because if you're not keeping them top of mind, they may think, oh, you don't love me anymore. And so I'm going to go someplace else where I feel as though I'm getting the attention that I'd like to be able to deserve. And so I always say to folks, have your questions structured, share with the candidates what your expectations and the descriptions are, make it a formal process because the more structured it is, it implies to me as the candidate that you have your act together. And then once you make a decision, make an offer and continue that communication.
3: So Glenna, we've seen CAMP campers book their sites up to two years in advance in some instances now because that's the demand. Has that been reflected in the hiring process too? You used to be able to come out of of winter and kind of do your hiring in March and April and be ready to go in late May. Is that now pushed back and you've got to get way in front of that now with hiring?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I can tell you that in the last – I've been speaking, as you mentioned, Ben, at KOA for the last five years. And speaking with a lot of the franchisees that I have worked with, what they're doing is at the end of season one, they're making a decision about who I might choose to bring back. And so they're doing that formally with job offers and letters and determining what their position is going to be. And then when they identify what the openings are, Mike, and how many, their need may be. So let's say I have 10, but I'm bringing back four. Now they know what they need to look for over the course of the season. I recommend people start very quickly because the market right now is, is compressed. You know, everyone's looking for talent. Everyone's looking for great talent. And so if you wait till the last minute, then you have the people that have perhaps not found anything else. So I always recommend start early. And that way you give yourself a longer runway. If you have to go into, you know, February and March before the season starts, hopefully it's with a smaller need versus, you know, what you may have had at the beginning of the season. So it really allows you to have the pick of, of uh, people that are available and just to continue that conversation.
3: So we've seen the ownership structure change a lot in, in campgrounds in the last few years. A lot more group ownership, a lot yep. more new money coming in uh some some uh some companies that come in and, and gobble up the smaller mom and pop campgrounds. Has that changed the message that you preach out there to to owners now? Is it is it a different way? Do you have to do your your HR differently now when number one you may be competing against these companies down the road that that are big and resourceful. And uh and also the you know the workers have so many different options now.
2: Absolutely. So On the HR front, the larger companies obviously have different legal compliance challenges because of the size, right? So we know that a company of five or 10 is very different than a company of 500. Um, But here's the bottom line. When I'm talking to you or you're talking to me and I'm interviewing for a job, it's person to person. So I remember when folks would say to me, You're over a certain area of Starbucks, for example, and I had thousands of people I was responsible for, and they would say to me, how do you handle that? And I go, one person at a time. When I'm interviewing a person, I'm talking to you, and there may be 50 other interviews that I have, but in this moment, you should be the most important person that I'm talking to because at the end of the day, my relationship is with you, and your relationship is with my organization. So I think the the one thing that's very important, Mike, and it's a great question, is that large companies appear at times corporate. And so I wanna make sure that you're making my relationship with my employer as intimate and personal as possible, that you're getting to know me, we're developing that kind of employer-employee relationship and then the engagement starts
1: during the interview and goes forward from that point forward.
3: Can, the joke was can always inter- that. Uh, go ahead, Ben.
1: Yep. Sorry. Can an interview get too informal? Like I know, like you could have a really formal interview, but can an interview get too informal?
2: Absolutely, Ben. Probably the most uh, the, the best example of that is an interview, and we've all been through these where somebody will say, "Tell me about yourself." And the person starts and says, well, I grew up in Chicago and I went to kindergarten. And if you're, you know, over the age of 20 or 25, the thought bubble is this is going to be a long conversation. <laughs> so that kind of an interview doesn't necessarily give the information that the interviewer is looking for, right? It just is wherever the candidate is deciding to start the conversation. So one of the things that I recommend is you can have structured interviews and structured questions but ask them in a conversational way so i don't know that you're asking the same question of 50 people i just know that you're asking it of me and that's really very much of its kind of the casual nature and tone of what i do versus the question that i ask
3: so what are what are the questions that you can't ask or shouldn't be asking
2: Well, anything that certainly there is a lot of legal questions, Mike, anything that's related to, you know, age, race, preferences, ethnicity, religion, all of those are off the table. And one of the things that I do always recommend, and certainly I I discuss this with the folks that I work with directly, are the legal and illegal questions that you can and cannot ask. And every state is different. So there may be certain things in California that are very different than, you know, Texas or Michigan or other places. So anything that is not job related and a, fo- and a person may say, well, you know, I notice that they, uh, they seem to have a physical malady. Isn't that job related? It may be, but it certainly is something that you need to ask in a very different way. So, for example, let's say an individual walks in and physically they don't appear to be able to do the job. We would never ask that question instead what we would say is here does here's a description with the physical requirements of what you need to be able to do as a maintenance tech in a campground you know is this something that you're capable of doing and if the person says no i have xyz then they just told you the answer to that is no so yeah. there's ways to find out answers to questions that are very much legal and appropriate
1: all right. All right, we have to take a small break just to recognize our sponsor, um, but we'll be right back with Lynn. WCM's park update is being brought to you by Woodall's Campground Magazine. For over five decades, Woodall's Campground Magazine has aimed to provide park owners and operators with the relevant industry news they need to run their businesses more efficiently. As times have changed, so has Woodall's Campground Magazine. Besides just its print publication, which is distributed to more than 14,000 industry professionals every month, the magazine also reaches readers through its various social media platforms, including Facebook, at Woodall CM, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Woodall's Camground Magazine also offers a daily e-blast, which highlights the top news from the industry. The best part? Everything we do is advertiser-supported and free to our readers. As the outdoor hospitality industry continues to grow at a rapid pace, it is important to stay up to date on trends and other relevant news. Subscribe to Woodalls Campground Magazine at woodallscm.com. Hi, welcome back to WCM's Park Update, and we're talking with Glenna Hecht, just about all things employee-related. I know we've talked a little bit about getting that employee, um, but one part of this is retaining the employee, too. And it's really difficult for some park owners, especially in the northern tier where it's more seasonal. Do you have like any ideas or ways park owners may be able to like retain these employees even though they can't work there all year, I guess?
2: Absolutely. Um, As I mentioned earlier in my own business, I work with different campgrounds. And one of the things that I know is really important to the, the employee in the campground is feedback. They want to know how they're doing. They want some sense of, am I on the right track? Do you value what I'm doing? Have I, you know, if I've made a mistake, how do I correct it? And so I know that that relationship, whether it is four months, six months, or year round, is really about, you know, am I doing what you expected me to do? How am I doing? And also giving me feedback so I can grow and develop. I do think engagement important is uh, making sure that the team works together, that they enjoy each other, that you take time out to have some type of, of an event for the team so that they can obviously support each other and have a great time while they're ensuring that their campers are as well. So yep. that's that's a very important piece of it.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think we lost, uh, we lost Mike. We lost him. It's okay. (laughs) Um, I guess, you know, yes, (laughs) I guess, uh, you know, when when uh, you're retaining employees, there's so much competition out there nowadays. Um, There's a lot of jobs, high paying jobs. Um, It doesn't seem to be slowing down, at least in my area. There's tons of jobs available. How do park owners keep their staff at these jobs? And, you know, when there's so much competition? I guess.
2: So, you know, one of the things that a camp owner has to do is to make sure that they're compensating fairly. And so knowing what's going on in the area around them is critical. Um, A lot of camp owners will give perks and that may be everything from a campsite to discounts on propane to discounts in the shop. It could be free internet. So a lot of that goes along with it. But Compensation, I know a lot of the camp owners will give bonus incentives uh, for people that are with them the entire season. And so that's sort of a a thank you, if you will, to stay with me and move forward. I have talked to camp owners that said, I know that Glenna performed and she wants to come back and she's great. So I'm going to tell her at the end of season one what she's going to get compensated in in season two, and what the role is. So I feel as though I'm advancing. And you know, let's be honest, Ben, you're not going to compete with the people that may be interested in manufacturing or technology. There are people that love to work in the campgrounds. They love the interaction with the guests. The hospitality is really energizing for them. And they love to be outdoors. They like the concept of camping. So know who you're dealing with, and then when you talk to people and interview them, and if you find somebody you hire, always ask them, who do you know? You know, who would you refer? Are there folks that you'd love to work with? So a lot of the campgrounds I work for and with will have somebody that brings their best friend in, and then they'll have another friend that they bring in. And so they all hang with folks that are like them. I think that's another great not only recruiting practice, but it also is retention because I'm working with people that are my friends.
3: So, yeah, you- spin off on that a little bit, Glenn, and because we also have a most of these uh, parks, especially the smaller ones, are again a husband-wife team that that co-own this thing. Mm-hmm. Are there some of these skills of HR that can be brought into that relationship when you're when you're co-owning an operation like that? Uh, are there things that that are HR related when you have to deal with a spouse in a company
2: setting? Abs- absolutely. Uh, I had, it's, it's such a great question, Mike. Uh, last year, when I was doing a presentation, I had a camp owner, and there were three families that came together to buy the camp. So it was mother, father, husband, wife, sister, brother. And one of the things that they did that I thought was brilliant was really sat down and identified the jobs very clearly. What was each person's lane? You know, who who was going to be responsible for what? Because I think that sometimes emotions get high when when I perceive that you think I'm not doing a good job. So I can only imagine in a husband and wife situation, if one starts to pick up duties for the other, there could be emotion that's there and folks saying, are you telling me that I'm not performing. So I think understanding what the lane is, understanding what the role is, carving out time when you're talking about work and carving out time when you're not. And so if you're living at 24-7 and talking about it 24-7, that can get very wearing. So I know couples that do great, but they'll say, okay, once we hit a certain time or a certain day, we're going to take date night for us so that we can at least – Keep our relationship together and enjoy each other. Absolutely critical. I also think what's important from a human resources standpoint, those one or two uh, husband and wife teams have employees, and the question has to be, who's responsible for what facets of employment with those employees? Somebody may be doing administration, somebody's doing engineering, somebody's doing payroll, and, and everyone, again, has to identify their lane. So it's clear for them and clear for the employees as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, What about like identifying strengths and weaknesses in employees? I know I used to manage quite a few employees and you always tried to find what their strengths and weaknesses were so you could point them in the right direction. Is that something that park owners should be doing? How do you identify somebody's strengths or weaknesses? Good
2: question, Ben. So a question that you probably remember from interviewing Many moons ago, as we used to say, you know, tell me about your strengths and weaknesses. And then everybody would say, "Uh, I'm a perfectionist and I'm an overachiever. And, you know, that was the canned answer. So it became pretty clear that I'm not asking something that's as specific as I might want to. So now what you find is there's something called behavioral interviewing. And people will ask the candidate to look back in their history and give an example. So if I know, for example, that customer service is extremely important, I might ask a candidate, tell me about a time when you gave excellent customer service. What did you do? What was the situation? How did you handle it? And if they answer and it's an excellent answer, then you know that you're starting to land on a strength. If they answer it, and it's not great, that may be a tip-off, and you may want to ask a second question. If you get the same type of answer in a second question, it says to you, this may not be their strength, but perhaps maintenance or something that's more of a solo role would be. So behavioral questions that are all created in advance are the ones that you ask every candidate, and those start to point to the strengths and the weaknesses that they
1: may have. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it was always important. Because um, people would get frustrated if they weren't very strong at something, and you were making them do it so repeatedly. And you know, obviously, some people are really good with customers, and then other people you d- wouldn't want around a customer. They have other things they're good at. So, absolutely.
2: But so, uh... well, let's also let's also <laughs> talk though about training because I think you know yeah. that brings that up then, and that is. You know, if you bring me in for a role, one of the things that is absolutely critical is structure training. So I need to learn certain things at a certain time frame. A lot of times what I find is that I will be watching over the shoulder of somebody. So camp owners may say, well, you know, Mike's got it down. So Glenn is going to stand and watch what he's doing. Well, the good news about that is Mike knows the job. I'm just observing, I'm not doing the job. So you need to make sure that your training is structured to tell you and the employee, do they have the skills to do the job? Are they actually learning and performing? And during that training time, Ben, you can identify strengths and weaknesses. So somebody may have an affinity for something that you had no idea about. And all of a sudden you start to say, well, wait a minute, maybe they can also be responsible for this, or maybe not that, but I'll give them a different duty instead. So a structured training program really does help you identify what folks excel at and where they may need some assistance.
3: So you, you suggest in the training side that employers, once you interview and hire somebody remotely, especially in a work camper situation, that they start the training before the people ever show up.
2: Well, the the challenge that's that's with that, Mike, is obviously you've got all of the remuneration that goes along with it because training is considered work, so you need to compensate it. What Mm -hmm. I do think is important is if you have a training outline and there are things that the person may be learning the first week or two when they're on the campsite, I would absolutely share that because it sets the employee up for success. It communicates that you're not going to, you know, throw me in the deep end without support, um, and it also says, oh, "Here's what I can expect. I'm going to be doing my first week or so on the job." So, absolutely, sharing what that structure might look like. Some campsites have reading materials or newsletters or things that the employee is going to take a look at before they start. Absolutely. So, those are really important. And then when I show up on site giving me an opportunity to actually learn my job and to really get it and get comfortable with it. What's also interesting, Mike, is that uh, you have to do that for returning employees as well. Because what I think happens is a lot of the campgrounds change things, right? From season to season, something shifts. They may get... A new system a different way of doing a certain you know project or check-in or whatever that might be you have to go through the same training rigor with your repeat people because you want to set them up for success with something that's changed as well
3: what about when you have a uh, an employee that isn't working out how important is it to to create that paper trail uh that we've always heard of hr (laughs) throughout the years so that when the time comes that you just have to cut them loose, that it, it, it's not such a, a shock and you're not leaving yourself vulnerable to, to, uh, to any legal uh, implications.
2: So, so good question, Mike. I think I look at that two ways. Okay? One is the legal, legal implication for the campground owner, which is a lot of what I do when I'm working with people through my business. Then there's what's the right thing to do. And they're both together. They're not separate from each other. So the right thing to do is when somebody does something and they make a mistake, you know, and let's assume that they make a mistake, is to sit down and provide some feedback and identify why it happened, what occurred. I can share with you that in many of the instances that I'm doing employee relations with campground owners, and we dig into a situation, it's not always what it appears. So what we may think it is on on the very front end, after we do some research, you go, okay, maybe it wasn't so bad. And so the decision about what's going to occur with the employee has changed. So the right thing to do is always to figure out what happened, why did it happen, how did it happen, and then separately to say, do we need to clarify our processes and systems to make sure it doesn't happen again? Right. And then if I am certainly sitting down and giving some type of coaching to somebody, that's very important that it's written. It's very important that it's in a handbook and it's cleared, clarified up front what will happen if somebody doesn't do something right. What are the situations that could cause an employee to be terminated very quickly? And those standards of conduct are applicable for a company of Three people to 350 people. So certainly that's a very important thing to do. Um, is, Is it important to have a paper trail? Absolutely. And I love talking to campground owners and, you know, RV park owners and saying to them, my role is to cover your back. They have the most to lose because if something occurs and they have an issue, it affects the livelihood of so many other people, all their employees and all the campers. And so it's really prudent for them to understand the implications of doing something before they do it. And, you know, you can always plan methodically determine how you're going to react to a situation before, before you actually do that. The danger is when you say, you know, here's what I'm going to do when I'm, you know, and you're fired and this happened. And then you learn it wasn't exactly the way it appeared. And you say, oh, I wish I would have done it differently. So great, great question, Mike. Thank you for asking that.
1: You you mentioned, too, the importance of, like, surveying or understanding, you know, your employees, kind of, you know, what they like, what they don't like. Do you see a lot of parks that do exit surveys? Is that something that's kind of catching on, you know, Um at the end of the year, or when an employee moves on, or is that something that more parks need to do? I guess.
2: I think. I think it depends on the size. Ben. So um, certainly, if you're talking about one of the larger organizations, they may have exit surveys or they may have employee surveys. And there are, are a lot of companies out there that may have you know five, six, seven, ten parks, and it's a much easier way for them to gather that insight. Certainly at the end of the season is a great time to gather feedback. I recommend doing it much earlier. And that is, you know, when people come in and they have a fresh set of eyes, asking earlier on in their experience, what are you seeing and what recommendations might you have? Because I can potentially fix it at the beginning of the season. When we're at the end of the season, I'm looking at next year. You know what I mean? So I want to make sure that I'm canvassing for input and feedback because we, you know, we think it may be negative. They may have a great idea. They may say, why didn't you try this event? Or have you ever considered doing this? And that could be a huge win for the campground. So I always recommend talking to your people, asking for ideas during the season and certainly at the end of
1: the season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um Glenna, we we're, we're gonna have to wrap up here. Uh, I have a feeling we could probably talk for a few hours, so <laughs> Absolutely. I <need> to... <laughs> But um, how do people get in how do people get in touch with you?
2: Well, thank you for asking, Ben. My company is Humanistic Consulting and uh, my email is Glenna at com. Easy. it's my first name, last name so Glenna at and I respond to my emails and would love to be able to chat with people. Um, and one of the things that I do and really enjoy doing is I always have a, a complimentary conversation with the business owner just to see what their focus is, what their goals are, and also if there's chemistry between us to potentially work together. So I would look forward to hearing from any of your listeners. And I want to mention
3: too, Glennie, you still have the, the Profits from the Inside Out ebook available also on your off your I website. Do, I
2: do, and I have a blog called What the Heck. Um, if, if it works with your last name, what can I say? And there's uh, hundreds of blogs on leadership and diversity and teamwork and coaching. So certainly all of that is free information that's available on my website as well.
1: Yeah. And uh, we'll have a link to your website in the description of this episode as well. So Thank you. Uh, Appreciate well, thank you. it. Yeah. Thank you, Glenna, for coming on. I imagine I'll be seeing you at the KOA convention this year, possibly, or? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. But uh, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, thanks, everyone, for watching.
2: Thank you.
3: Thanks, Fenneth. Good seeing you again.
0: Thank you for listening to WCM's Park Update, a production of Woodall's Campground magazine. Join us for a new show each Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn for daily news and updates, and subscribe to our news feed on our website at woodallscm.com. Show hosts are Ben Quiggle and Mike Gast, executive producers Rick Kessler and Alex Burkett. Copyright 2022, g g Media Group.